I don't even know how to introduce this person. Jimmy, would you like to introduce uh, Matthew Babel? Matthew Babel. So uh, Matthew Babel grew up with Bradley and I, uh, probably even Brad longer than than I. Uh, But we played soccer together growing up, Uh, played through high school. And then uh, uh, I was his roommate freshman year at Western when he walked on to Western's uh, men's team. By Western, you mean? Western Michigan University, yes. Yes. And you walked on there? I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the glory days. Continue. Jimmy, you got – where else are we going then? Uh, so, yeah, and so, like, along those lines, you know, like, uh, growing up, we had uh, teams that we loved him. Matt played, probably played more FIFA than I, even I did. Um, but he's a gooner. Uh, Matt's been a lifetime gooner. Um, all the way back to Thierry Henry and um, all those all those boys, Patrick Vieira, those days, right, Matty Boy? Yeah, Babel, how about you introduce yourself to the uh, to the rooster and the villain listeners here? And, and let me just say, this is the great white buffalo right here. We've tried to get this guy, this gooner, on the podcast for how long? How long did we start the podcast at this point? I think three years. I think it's yeah, been three years. It was, yeah, it was the beginning of the pandemic, I think. Um, yeah. So without further ado, tell us about yeah. yourself. It feels like a long time. Yeah, lifelong Gunner fan. Um, I started following Arsenal back in what? What was that? 2003, 2004, the year of the Invincibles. Mm-hmm. You know, as you're younger and you, you gravitate towards your favorite players and those teams that are just good at that time. And that was Arsenal for me. And then uh, yeah, I've been quiet for 10 so, years, 15 years now. Right, because Arsenal's just been a uh, kind of a laughing stock ever since. Uh, I mean, laughing stock uh, is harsh. I think that yeah. is harsh. You had a Europa yeah. League finals. Like, come on, you're, you know, when you're true. when you're Arsenal, you grew up in the age when they were the Invincibles, and I, I think I speak for ninety five percent of Arsenal fans out there. You are you you are not looking to be mid table or just in the Champions League conversation, and that's why everybody got so. Uh, I guess Jay did at the end of Winger's, Winger's uh, career, right? Um, we were just looking for more. So this year we're definitely getting a little more. If you could have a time machine, would you have kept Wenger for uh, another season? No. And my main reason for for being happy when Wenger left was primarily because players didn't want to any longer come to the club. He, never, he wasn't gravitating uh, or bringing in the, um, you know, that premier talent. So at that point, it was kind of like the writing was on the wall for me. I loved him. They're going to make a statue if they haven't already. And he'll always be a legend of the club, but it was time to move on. Yeah, I mean, I mean how many seasons did he have at that point? Mm. Nine, good question. Nine, nine, was, 90, uh, was it 96 that he started with Arsenal? And he went all the way through. I mean, he had like 20 years at Arsenal, I think. Um, that kind of quite. tenure in the soccer world is insane. You don't yeah. get he that. Went, he went. He went head to head with uh, with Ferguson. Like when he came in, uh, and and uh, you know, started with like with Arsenal in '96, '97. They were right away like challenging uh, uh, United, and then there was like a five year, five or six year run where um, it was like United and Arsenal like one and two for like five straight years. Um, but yeah, I mean, the rivalry was fantastic growing up. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I do want to talk 
quickly too, like about your youth soccer experience, just because that's that's part of one of the themes of the podcast is actually kind of like talking through your youth soccer development if you have it, and then you know how you became a fan, and then you know just your story a little bit. So, you guys played junior high soccer together. Yeah, yeah. So Jimmy and I both are from Vicksburg. Uh, same with Bradley. And uh, growing up. You know, we, in order to play travel soccer, you know, we would aggregate the kids from like a tri-county area in order to field enough to make a 15 or a 16 kid uh, travel team. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my parents didn't have a lot of money, so we we stayed in the travel system. And, you know, coming up from U10 to U15, we had one of the better travel clubs. Now, we weren't on the premier level, which was like TKO or Kingdom you know, in the Michigan soccer league. Um, but again, you had to pay a couple of thousand dollars to get into that system when you're younger. And we just kind of do that. So growing up, I ended up uh, getting recruited from the premier leagues in Michigan to play, to travel with TKO and playing some tournaments. I think Jimmy, you did too, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ended up just coming through high school and then, uh, decided I wanted to play a little college ball and walked on at, at Western after getting cut a couple of times and I played a couple of, played one spring and a, or two springs and one fall. And then that, you know, at that point I decided to hang up the boots and yeah. uh, pursue a education. So. Yeah. I mean, but what was that experience like playing division one soccer? Because that's incredible. I, I, I'm sure I had heard that at, at one point, but I forgot that. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, um, the difference between European and American soccer, it's, it's night and day. You know, I was, uh, what am I, I'm not quite 5'8". When I was playing, I was like 145 pounds. And I was, I think Jimmy would attest to this, I was quick. Um, not the most technical. I think I had enough talent to get me through an American Division One. Right. But, uh, you know, in American soccer, like, there just isn't the focus on the technical skill set or the tactics of of what you see in the in the European game. Especially and, technical, uh, I would say. I think the tactics are catching up a little bit, but technically we're we are weak as a country. Right. Well, and I think we, you know, you look at the the early like the eighties, the nineties, even early two thousands. They used to prioritize speed and size. You know, it's similar to American football. Oh yeah. And mm. uh, what's really rejuvenating about this new generation of soccer talent coming through is it does look like we um, are progressing past that, which for me is exciting. Oh yeah. I mean, you're, you're also, besides being a gooner in love with the U S men's national team, is that fair to say? I think so. Yeah. Were you fans of them before you were fans of Arsenal? Hmm. Actually, I would actually say the U.S. women's national team more so than okay. the men's team, just That's because fair. they were so mm-hmm. good growing up. You know, the yeah. men's team, I remember what, Lexi Lawless, um, uh, Kobe Jones, some of those guys. <laughs> Eric Renault. Yeah. I, Michael, I mean, I would never, I would rather be playing soccer growing up than watching it, not oh, yeah. the vice versa. You know, it's like I'd, I watch it all the time. I'd rather watch it than play it. At really? Do you ever play anymore? You ever grab the boots and go out? Yeah, man. I've been playing uh, 11 v 11 men's league oh, nice. for um, the last couple years. But yeah, it's fun. Trying to stay healthy. Trying not to blow out a knee. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a concern. That would that would absolutely yeah. blow. Jimmy had a little ACL health uh, like scare for a second, right? 
Yeah, it was, uh, it ended up, uh, all my ligaments are intact. Like I dislocated my patella tendon, but it popped back in. But like mostly what I did was I did some cartilage damage. So like I'm supposed to do like a microfracture surgery where they go and like drill in, drill into your knee, like bleeds out onto the cartilage and promotes cartilage growth. But yeah, man, (laughs) it sucks. I'll be out for like, I'll be out for a couple months. Oh no. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's all right. You mean to just stick at your scabs there? Like, no, no, it's it's all right. It's it's honestly probably better than if I'd blown out my ACL. So, so it was positive news. I played uh, I played pickup futsal the other night. There were fifteen people there in the gym, and there were just three teams of five, like alternating. You'd play to three or four minutes, Mm. so just moving. It was awesome though. It was like. If, if if a kid decided to get into futsal young, that's where they would get a lot of technical ability because the, the ball mm-hmm. moves so quick. It, it's it's so fun too. Like working in those small spaces is a completely different game. Babel and I played like a version of that. Like when we were at Western, like because they had like converted like old like uh, um, cement surrounded like basketball courts like at the at the rec center, and so we'd go down there and we'd play like you know on. Um, you know, like on a basketball floor, uh, essentially, and it was five v five and uh, first to two, and then you rotated teams. We'd be down there for hours. We met a so bunch fun. of a bunch of people that we still kind of you know keep in touch with now from the people we met playing down there. It was pretty cool. What yeah. was cool about the one I went to? It's called Street FC. Like you know, they're all Kyle Martino. It's his company. Oh, yeah, but yeah. Um, it's all like kids, you know, I'm out there with like 20 to 25 year olds and some of the kids are insanely technically gifted or have worked themselves into being technically gifted. It was it was cool to play with it because like you were saying earlier, Babel, in our generation, like speed and, you know, our passing ability, I feel like in the American game was pretty good, but you don't have that like technical ability. So it was like. I saw the next generation and they're completely different than, than we were not to say there wasn't good soccer when we were growing up, but it's different now. Yeah. Well, and I also think like the facilities, I don't know, Mike go from where you grew up, but in Michigan, we would play on old uh, football fields, American football fields, or like we farms baseball and fields all the time. You could not play the ball on the ground. Even when I was in college, we played on, they called it the farm Western yeah. and the yeah. practice fields were, were so much undulation, just rolling and oh, uh, little holes everywhere. They finally invested the money and they've, they've redone the entire thing. But um, America so, loves turf too. They just love coming in and bringing in I turf. I hate turf. Oh, yeah. so oh. Matt, what about those? Uh, so you, um, you like, after you did, you, uh, you said you hung up your boots, but you did play uh, um, for the club team for a couple of years. And one of those years you guys went to nationals. You said that the, the fields you guys played on were real grass, but they were like, like the nicest grass you'd ever seen. Like the fields. Yeah. Were. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that year we ended up, we were almost undefeated. I think we lost one game regular season as a club team. And then we went into the regionals and we beat Michigan and Cincinnati and, Oh, uh, that's fun. Yeah. And we made the national tournament. So we all decided to pay cause we were not a funded program. It was a club league or a club team. And we went down and, um, you know, there's some big division one schools like Texas that didn't have a men's soccer team. And so they had a fully funded club organization. That's so they, awesome, they, actually, you know, AC buses, all the travel covered, right. You've got close to 30 guys coming in. 
And when you go into those tournaments, those tournaments where you played six games, if you made it to the finals, you would play six games in like seven days. So as a, you know, mid twenties, I think I was 25 or 24, no way in hell. Right. I'm not playing that many games. And that, so we ended up, uh, I think we beat central Florida. We won our group stage, all our group stage matches. And then That's we ran, the, then we ran to the university of Texas and it was a train wreck. I mean, we were all exhausted. <laughs> we had legs for days and I think we lost like four to one, but it could have been worse. And, um, but yeah, that was fun. Those Florida two were amazing. Virginia, like the Bermuda grass that they had down in Arizona. Um, it, it, I mean, it was just, it was so flat and it was so perfect to play on that it's a different game. It's a different game from the Midwest. I mean, at least from, you know, what I grew up with. The ball moves quicker. You know, I, when I was growing up, I played club soccer till eighth grade and then I just switched to basketball and never cared about soccer. Like it was not my, my like joy growing up. But I played club ball for, you know, five, six years there in middle school era. And it was all clumpy grass, baseball fields. Like, yeah, the fields were just terrible. They really were. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you join in American soccer, I remember they put a size five ball on your foot, you know, when I was eight, nine years old. You know, and um, crazy. You, you mentioned futsal earlier. Now the English game, they're starting to introduce the, the size three futsal ball that doesn't bounce to younger younger kids that are coming through more of the brazilian tactics of uh training youth but it's like the u.s needs to do more of that more technical focus and just but i think you're seeing it come through so. and i'm supposed yeah. to have this I've, I've tried to schedule this interview twice now but there's this guy named tom Bayer who is involved with the japanese national football program and he has this whole concept called soccer starts at home where basically you take tiny little balls and you just put them everywhere in your house and just teach your kids to manipulate the ball from like two years old. So just slowly walking around the house, like, you know, you show them how to play with it and they just, the ball becomes their favorite toy in the house. And so then like they learn that technical ability and then he implemented this program in Japan. And that's why you're seeing like the success of the Japanese women's team and the Japanese men's team all of a sudden, like, (laughs) Jimmy, you I, have I no, I'm I'm, la- I'm laughing because I know 100% Matt's saying to himself, he's like, yeah, man, I'm going to buy like 100 little Nike balls and put them all over the house. I can see in his face. He's like, yep. You, you got to watch the videos too because these kids at like three, four, year, four years old can like really control the ball around the house. It's just, you know, quick movements. It's awesome. It's awesome. That so. is cool. I've tried to force feed soccer on my four-year-old and my – one and a half year old and right now it's not happening yeah got a whole Same. little wow. mini soccer net set up downstairs i've got a bunch of balls and they just want nothing to do with it but the the, the program discourages them from like kicking at goals too like even kicking the mm-hmm. ball like you just constantly just teach them how to love playing with the ball the and then ball. they love the game later the, because they're good at it the ball handling skills like portion of it were like, you can learn to run, but, like, if you know how to manipulate the ball at a young age, like, as soon as you need to go, you're going to be able to go. And, like, all the other stuff that comes off of that, like, knowing that you can create a little bit of space for yourself and then connect that with, all right, I'm creating space now I'm passing and moving and then receiving, you know. It's hard to slow your mind yeah. down to, like, realize that when you receive a soccer ball, you don't have to, like, immediately get rid of it. Like, you can create space. That's, like, a hard you concept. Can, you can go any direction, right? Like, there's so much of 
other sports and games that you play as a kid where like you get it, you need to go forward immediately. And there's that, like that, that need to drive it. And you don't always like the idea that you can turn, go backwards and reset and, and go again. Like, um, I think it's harder to see in soccer than even in like basketball where, where it moves a little bit faster and it, it's, you know, the understanding that you have to recycle the ball kind of happens naturally. I don't think people see that in soccer. I think they just go forward and out of bounds um, a lot of times. So that's a, a concept too. That's, that's hard, especially for young kids. So It's hard, but then also I don't think it's really taught in the American game. Like I'll tell you, like, you know, growing up in just local travel leagues, you know, you were taught kind of the long ball, you know, the long ball system of moving the ball forward and, and possession was not something that was really stressed. And so learning how to move the ball as a team and, and you know, growing up with that understanding was something that. Yeah, but like, I, I think that's, I think it's true to an extent, but like, you know, most of our generation growing up, like our early coaches and stuff were parent volunteers, like somebody who may have seen soccer before, like not necessarily were like soccer coaches. So like they were doing the best they can off of like the base mentality of like, we have to go forward. So kick as far as you can and run and chase it. Like it was just kind of like natural for us. Um, But yeah, like I don't think there was a lot of coaching that we received early on that you'd say was technical in nature. It was all just, Hey, you know, score as many goals as you can. And don't like we got to win in America. Like even at six, seven years old, like, we have to win. That's the only focus of the game. There's no like, let's learn to move the ball as a team or learn how to take people on. Like, yeah, it's different. But I think now you're seeing like a second generation of soccer fans in the U.S. that know more. It's not just pa- – it could be parent volunteers still, but you have people that understand the game a little more that are the parent volunteers. It's a, it's a different sport today than it was 20 years ago in the U.S. I mean, if you look at MLS player salaries, you look at the MLS as a league, USL, um, there's so much more opportunity and, you know, there's so much more exposure. And I think with that comes, you know, obviously different opportunities, which is awesome. So Yeah, because now you're seeing like USL championship, USL League One, NISA, my personal favorite, yeah. <laughs> but all these different opportunities and also all these awesome amateur leagues like Midwest Premier League and uh, the Maryland Major League. Like, there's so many semi-professional leagues now that where there is opportunity in the game like there never was before. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, should we talk Gooners? All right. Like, here's uh, Matt. Like, we're we're 20 minutes now. I, I appreciate you coming on in your time. Um, I I find it super fucking convenient that <laughs> the first time you decide to pop your head up and talk some shit is when your team's got like a five or six point lead and a couple games in hand and we're halfway past the season and now you're feeling safe enough you can come out and, and talk some trash but you're going to come out and see us for a couple years before that so yeah, Arsenal, maybe we should talk about the dark years for uh, <laughs> first cover some of the dark years what was the darkest year for you Oh, the darkest year. Oh, let's see. I, I think for me, it was the player departures. You know, just watching slowly over time, the club die. You know, you think about Fabregas and Nasri and, um, was it Ashley Cole? 
Ozil. Well, no, I mean, Ozil just kind of, he got to the end of his career. But we kept on losing guys right at their prime, right? It was like we were no, we were a feeder club at one point. And the, the whole perception of the club, like, was different. And then, and then it got to the point where um, a lot of pundits and, and I would even say some of the fans were like, well, we just have to make the Champions League. And I guess for me, that's so demotivating because that's not why I follow Arsenal. It's not, you know, I, I grew up as a fan of the Invincibles and of Thierry Henry, and that was always my expectation. So when they're not in the conversation for winning the league, um, it's not that I wasn't a fan and I didn't watch every game, but, you know, I'm not going to be the one out there, you know, bad mouthing the You're team. You're not level setting at this point, though. Like, you can't tell me after the last couple of years where, if, you know, let's imagine the season, this amazing, beautiful season for you hasn't been happening. And they were like fourth place Champions League team. Like, you probably would have taken that preseason. Oh, that was my expectation preseason. You know, I did. I thought they were, you know, in contention to be in the top four. Uh, I didn't realistically think they had a chance at the title. And nobody did. Yeah. So this is all exceeding my expectations. But I would not, regardless of where they would be now, if they were, you know, below tenth, something like that. You know, may, uh, regressing this year. You know, then I may have been to the point where I would have been calling for a do and and Arteta's jobs, but. When I when I heard at the beginning of the season so many fans calling for Edu and Arteta, you know they didn't think they were the right fit, right? I was always of the mindset that they needed more time, and so for me it's just it's, and the reason why is because it it seemed like we turned into a magnet club, and we were attracting the talent again, and it was just a matter of time. You know Tim Cahill said it said it perfectly. I know they've highlighted that clip of him when he was predicting that. You know, Arsenal knows why they lose. And this was, you know, last year. You know, Arsenal knows why they lose. Even though they're losing, they know why they're losing. And they have a system. And it's only a matter of time until it all clicks. And, you know, they've added a few pieces. And, you know, things are really turned around. And it's it's exciting to be a part oh, of it. Oh, man, you got to be floating on air right now. You guys are invincible once again. Uh, I don't know about invincible, but, yeah, we're good. We're good, which is exciting. Right. And we're young. Are you yeah. uh, are you are you worried at all about like uh, um, some of these like stretches in the back half uh, of the season? Um, you know, you're really like I don't know how much longer you still have to go without Gabriel Jesus. Like uh, Enketia basically is your is your only out and out striker, right? Like I mean, he's um, been playing well, at least scoring goals. He, he, he has been playing yeah. well, but like, are you worried about like? like having like a cold stretch that allows like city to get a little bit closer or maybe even like Newcastle United to make it interesting. Or United tomorrow. That's a big game tomorrow for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, depth is no doubt an issue with the club and the midfield. Uh, I think for a couple of years, I've been calling for, you know, holding mid to come in and be able to, uh, you know, be that redundancy for a party. But, you know, as you talked about the stretch coming up, yeah, I don't think we have the talent that Man City has or the depth that Man City has. But the football that we are playing right now is so consistent week in and week out that I really don't have the anxiety that I usually had going into these these, you know, top four games where you're playing either Man City, Man United, um, Chelsea or Liverpool, Tottenham. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, it's just 
it's fun to watch and they're so consistent that it reminds me and I I don't mean to just throw this out there, but the year of Leicester, right? When they came through they it was every week. It was like, Oh, they can't keep this up, they can't keep this up. Well they kept it up, they won the league and I, I feel that way about Arsenal right now. Now they're getting a lot less points too though. You guys are actually dominating. You're yeah, dominating. And and City's yeah. wheels look a little wobbly, which is good for you all, but they're not far behind. Like you guys, you do have to keep pace because City is a fucking machine. Well, yeah, and Man United's not far behind. You know, what are they? How many points behind are they at this point? Eight. They're eight points behind, but you guys have a game in hand. Um, but if they, get, if they pick up three points tomorrow, that's when you're mm-hmm. talking five points, and that's yeah, that's a make upable difference. You know, it's it's not over. Yeah. Or if Newcastle figures out how to score just one goal so they avoid some of these goddamn ties, like, they haven't been scored on in what, since, like, October or something like that? Like, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they are arriving onto the scene quicker than anybody would have expected. Jimmy and I were talking about this earlier with Newcastle, though, and I just, I don't know that they're going to be able to keep this pace. And I still don't know that they're going to be able to rival you know, Man United, Man City, and Arsenal for, you know, some of that top talent coming to the Premier League. But uh, I think that they're, I think they're early stage and way scarier version of Man City. And it's because, like, for everything that City's done, they never really had a big fan base and they still don't have really a great fan base. Like, Newcastle had a fucking massive, real, already built in fan base on top of, like, the club money. Like, it being an, it is like almost an international brand to an extent already, so like they can just like grow on that. They'll be able to uh, grow and actually make revenue so much faster than what City has, and that's why I think they're going to come even with the financial fair play stuff. I say that air quotes in the air uh, in place. Um, yeah, I, I think Newcastle is, is scary, and I, I said this earlier in the chat too that. Um, for all the money they have splashed it, like that most of the what they're doing right now is with players that were already there. So I would um, also offer that Eddie Howe is just a really fucking good manager. Uh, he's got Newcastle playing really well with uh, with a, what is really like a you know a Europa League type squad. They're not really they shouldn't be a Champions League. They squad. were fighting for well. uh, for to stay up last year. They were mm-hmm. definitely in that relegation battle for longer than was comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure. So, what are, what are your favorite parts of Arsenal right now? Uh, it starts with Bukayo Saka up top. You know, I don't know who can't be a fan of him. Just in general, I've you know watching him come up that, from actually. eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. He's he's just flourished in his role, and it's it's fun mm-hmm. to watch um, him, Martinelli on both sides. Just how dynamic they are. I love Martinelli, um, actually, when I see him. He's just exploding up that left side, just mm-hmm. full of energy, positive energy towards the goal. It's like, yeah, he's he's killing it. Yeah. Yeah, so loving the, the those kids up front. Um, and then – How old is Martinelli? Know, Martinelli's 21 too, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't really was that young. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then from a defensive standpoint, you know, with White on the right, Saliba, Gabriel, and um, Zinchenko. I mean, it's just the the team all around. I could I could talk about all areas of the pitch. They're just clicking. Do it. So, 
Where yeah. in the, the yeah, we want details. Yeah, so I mean if you go back to the Tottenham game, you know, I think a lot of people are gonna focus on Zinchenko, right? And I'm not trying to like rub salt in the wound, Michael, but no, when you fine. watch it you watch that game and um party was was dominant the entire game. He just owned that midfield. And I don't think I think that's what we always thought we'd get out of party. But he'd been so injury prone up until this year, really, uh, that I think we're finally starting to see what he can do with getting a little momentum behind him uh, in the squad. And then also being the fact that I don't think he has to cover as much defensively with as stout as we've been. Um, You know, you think of the years of Bellerin on the right. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys watched a lot of Arsenal back then, but Bellerin, you know, when he was young, he was promising at one point. You know, he was the pride and joy of Arsenal, the the next young guy coming through. Um, but he really was a, a sieve at times um, on the right, and he just could not um, he could not hang with some of that premier talent that would that would be attacking Arsenal. And I I felt like they were so exposed. You know, on the on the bombarding runs he would do up the front, and then the counterattack, and you know, but. White has really stabilized the right side there with Tomiyasu. And you see when Tomiyasu comes in and he's the son uh, equalizer, you know, he's just, they're, they're so good. They're so good in the back. I could say so much about every area of the pitch. I love Zinchenko. I mean, Zinchenko and the way he, that he moves into the attacking third um, and the way they, they kind of shift to that three in the back and Zinchenko almost, almost dips into a, you know, a center defense, a center mid position in a distributor role. Mm-hmm. Um, Your dips yeah. into the Man City pot have been, uh, you know, lucrative for you all because Jesus too has just been phenomenal when when he's not when hurt. Healthy, when, yeah. 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 But he's, I mean, he was healthy until what three, four weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and you know, obviously, I'm a um, American football. I'm a Lions fan. You know, biting kneecaps. And I got to say, with Arsenal, I see a similar mentality. I'm just saying, like... Yeah, but they're winning. You, you look at the work ethic. <laughs> you, look at, you look at the work rate, like Jesus, when he came in, right? This is something that was so underrated for him at City, was his work rate. Whenever he would come into the field and the pressure that he would put uh, at the top line. And that creates so much space for others on the pitch. And, and honestly, he's just... Uh, it's one it's one beat they're all working that hard and it's it's just fun soccer to watch you know from from my perspective which but, players were you most happy to get rid of recently recently i got to think of the, some of the departures i know that uh well that we had Klasenek, uh uh ozil um who else has departed recently um Gwendouzi. Oh, we got Willock, who's basically starting for Newcastle now, and Newcastle's you know not far behind you. But Joe yeah, Willock, I think um, it was they offered thirty some million for Willock. It was one of those things I would have loved to seen him stay with the club, but at that point, you know, I think they were, you know, Willock was just not really in the plans. I will say that I've been happy they've been able to move a lot of the dead weight over the last two years. Michael, I'm not prepared to say like all the names, but I. Um, who was the left center back they sent to Monza in the Italian league? Um, anyway, oh. it's, it's, it's nice to see that loan kind of happen and it looks like they're going to stay up. So that'll be a, a, 
a deal that happens. It looks like Suarez is, is going to leave for Fulham in this window. But clearing those, opening up those roster spots and kind of getting rid of those, those stagnant wages where you weren't really getting the contribution into the club, that was, I think, their, their biggest hurdle they had over the last two years of clearing all of those wages. And, and so that's what's exciting. Yeah, they lost out on Mudrick recently to Chelsea, but you've seen them invest that same money into Kivior and then also uh, uh, Trossard. And then now you see that they're talking about Fresneda from, uh, from the Spanish league. So I mean, when was the last time you guys had an active January window, like a very active one like this? They've tried. I think they've tried, but I don't think the players have been available. Um, at least that's what they say, right? So. But yeah. also, I think I think it's they've been trying to clear the books too, like get guys off the roster. You you got to free up a spot in order to bring someone in. The way that that club's run, and uh, I think that's been some of the challenge of the past few Januarys as well. Yeah. But. Yeah. Jimmy, you got any Arsenal uh, specific questions for this guy? No, I was, uh, uh, I was, I'm edible. I'm just spacing out right now. No, I was. Uh, <laughs> I was going to look at what their schedule looks like coming up for Arsenal. So I I posed a uh, an interesting question to both of you in a text thread earlier, and mm. I thought it was just such a relevant topic because. And it might just be because of my bias for Bukayo Saka right now. But I asked the question, would you rather, if you were starting a Premier League club today, would you rather start your club with Phil Foden or would you rather start it with Bukayo Saka? And I just wanted an honest response from you both. And, and so I think it would be fair to say to Jimmy first because he's had the most time with this uh, to think through this today. So, Jimmy, what was your initial reaction to that? I told you when you asked me, like, who was better, and I, like, because we, this came from, uh, this was like a roll off of a question that you'd asked before, like, what, who had a better front three in the Premier League was what you'd asked me. And I had to put Foden in, in uh, Man City's, and you said, well, who do you like better, Foden or Saka? And I, for me, like, for me, if I'm starting a club for the way I want my club to play, like, I want Phil Foden on my team. Why? I think he does. I think he does different things, and this was what I was also saying to Matt. Like Bukayo Saka, like like athletically, like he's going to like open up an entire side of the field, and he's going to be a problem, and he's going to be able to press and do all those sort of things. Where I think that Foden is more of like um, he likes to play more central, even though he's a winger. Like he'll, he'll like tuck in, and then become becomes a lot of that facilitator role. Um, but he can also score, and like that's what I uh, want for my team more so than like. Uh, and don't get me wrong, Saka is fantastic. He's just a different type of player. And if I'm building a club, I'd choose Foden. So. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I actively avoid watching Arsenal games as a Tottenham supporter. So I don't watch him on the club level all that often. But I did watch him at the World Cup, and he was fantastic for England. So it was fun to watch him. But Foden just seems like an asshole. <laughs> like, he just seems like an asshole in the locker room. Seems like a cocky ass bitch. And, and so- Saka looks like he has a better attitude. So uh, that's kind of what, what my thinking is. And and as a player, like Jamie said, he opens up half the field. Like that's so freaking useful. He's so energetic and proactive out there. Like he's he's just fun to watch. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, I don't think you can be wrong whether you go Foden or Saka, but right. for me, it, it goes kind of what you were saying a bit, Michael, about the attitude of Foden versus the attitude of Saka. And mm-hmm. and I don't know about you, but if I'm a young soccer player, if I'm 10, 11, 12 years old, and I'm looking for a role model in the Premier League to follow, it's Bukayo Saka. I mean, that kid is just, he's phenomenal in every aspect of life and every aspect of soccer. And for me, if I'm looking for someone to build an entire club around, it's going to be Bukayo Saka out of those two. But he's I asked the question Artie. just because, uh, no, I'm saying those he's two, not right? your but, uh, role model for, for life. No, not part. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, wait, that's still uh, unresolved, but no comments from me on that. But. <laughs> you sure you don't want to double click on that for a second? Uh, so, so Bukayo Saka, Saka? Saka. Yes. Yeah. Saka. What does yeah. he do in the community that's so special there, Matt? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily in the community. I was just saying if you're looking for someone to follow, you know, and his, and just his, the actions that he takes and how he supports his team. And he's not that guy that you're going to find um, any extracurricular activities causing issues for. Um, and then like also from a locker. He's crashing his car drunkenly like a fucking asshole. Yeah, yeah. I, you'll have you have to watch some of the videos on Bukayo Saka, but yeah, he's just a very grounded uh, young man, and it's it's fun to have him part of the you know kind of that that role that he is in the club right now. They can just build around him, and uh, that's not to say no, everybody else isn't on par with Saka, but you know uh, that that would be the reason why I'd go with Saka. It's just I I think he's well, you're an one of a kind supporter too, like. Of course they're gonna go with him. He's yeah, he, he's leading this this season is just insane. It's insane. Every, I, I I hate watch you guys sometimes at the end of the game, like hoping something bad will happen, but did, your success did, just drives me crazy. Did you know that you guys haven't played City yet? You still have to play him twice in the Premier League. We play him three times in the next three months. Mm. Yeah. Wow. The same as like that's like the difference right there. Yeah, City's right? still scary. They're the number well, one competitor always. Even with you know, and you, clipping up here. Yeah. Well, and you guys said like, oh, you look a little smug, like with Arsenal and all that. And you know, listen, they're top of the table, but I didn't. I still don't have the expectation in my mind that they have to win the Premier League. I thought that's what you always expected, Matthew. Right. That's what I want. But this year, that wasn't my expectation. Mm. Um, but, you know, going going into this game tomorrow against Man United, going into the game next week against Man City, if I have to say who's playing more consistent football right now, it's it's Arsenal over both of those clubs. And I, I'm not saying that from a biased perspective. I think even neutrals would say that, unless you're, you know, some of those pundits I've heard recently just bashing Arsenal. But they really have been the most consistent club in the Premier League. And to go into those games, I think that it – I don't want to say that we're the favorite against City, but we are the favorite against United, and we should go in and, and play like that. So, I bet you're, I bet you're the betting favorite against City, don't you think, right now? Uh, I I wouldn't think it so. It would it would depend on if it was a home or away. Yeah, yeah. I have to look. I don't know. Saturday, February eighteenth is where your Premier League dreams die, sir. Villa, Villa oh, Park. Yeah. I think it's at the. Uh, I think it's at the Emirates. 
What do you, what do you no, think? No, 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 no. This Benedict is, Arnold over it, here just switching it, squads. It is at Villa Park. No corner oh. kick goals this time, Jimmy. Oh, they're coming for you. You should have signed <laughs> Doug. You should have signed Dougie. He's worth way more than twenty-five million now. He's fantastic. Mm. Bubakar Kamara. Good evening. Anyway, good evening. Yeah. Unai's revenge takes so, us out of the of the Premier League. Yep. So, Michael, when I first met you and you were friends with Brad back in college, you were an Arsenal fan at that time. No. No. You were you were an Arsenal fan, were you not? No. What, not. what is your history there, and does that is that part of the reason why you find Arsenal games so hard to watch? No, it's I was not a soccer fan at all until 2010 World Cup U.S. national team. Then I started watching, and then I kind of followed the national team. 2014, they had a great World Cup, so then I got pretty into it. And then 2018, when we missed the World Cup. Then that's when I decided to get into club football. And then Tyndall was also like, come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Harry Kane's a wizard. Like just sending all these <laughs> random – at the time were like cryptic texts. I was like, I don't know what the fuck this man's talking about. And like fantasy football changed his team name to like something Spurs related. It's like, what the fuck is this guy? Like what is happening? So then I like became interested in club soccer and I talked to Brad kind of frequently. Then we started – the podcast and that became even more although I, I just picked Spurs because you know I had a couple in the running you know Arsenal and City were in there and then uh, Spurs but I just love Christian Eriksen so much and uh, Moussa Dembele at the time like I fell in love with them first and then mm-hmm. yeah then I just and then Brad was also like feeding me Tottenham information all the time so that was helpful like oh look at this Deli Alley video like oh all right Checked it out. So that was kind of my my history. I I regret it a little bit because it is painful at times. Mm-hmm. It's like watching the Lions. It's it, that those are really the Lions. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't want to say anything negative, but the direction they've kind of taken this year is I can only imagine frustrating. Awful. But. It's not fun soccer to watch at all. It's just like even when they win, you're just I don't know. Just grabbing your balls. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sitting on that one for a while. Did you, did you fart? Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I heard heard it. It. Table heard it. I heard it. Stinky? No, uh, just just loud, man. I'm sitting on like the edge of a stool. I apologize. All right, so so some real time news with Arsenal. So they just signed Trossard from Brighton, and Jimmy was Got asking earlier. Oh, sorry. We have a Brighton uh, – we do the podcast with a Brighton supporter sometimes from El Paso, Texas. We were supposed to record with last night, but then I went out and got drunk. And I will say I'm sorry I didn't invite you, Jake, to this one tonight. We have the great white buffalo, and it just kind of happened. So here he is. But yeah. Trissard, he hates Trissard. He was happy to see him gone. He's a cancer in that, that locker room. That's what I've heard. You know, a lot of guys, uh, a lot of Brighton fans were not happy with the way that he exited – but I mean, they have Matoma, if that's how you pronounce it. Um, yeah, you know, part of Banger today. Oh seen my it gosh, yet. he is just. He did. It was a sexy a, but I, I think you would be, you know, it would be hard to argue that Trissard was not the best player on the pitch uh, last year for Brighton. Maybe not this year with McAllister and 
Yamatoma at times, but Trossard still, I mean, he had, what was it, seven goals and two assists in his first half of the season. So he's been electric for them. And then, yeah, he wanted to leave and, and I get that piece, but uh, from an Arsenal perspective, you know, it's great to bring in someone that's a premier league quality winger uh, and bring him off the bench uh, to contribute and to, you know, give some rest to Martinelli and maybe even Saka on the right. Um, so I like the signing 30 million. I would have rather had Mudrick, but you see that they've taken that money and invested in different ways. And, you know, I mean, yeah, the management is not blind to the situation they're in. Like you guys I hope you fail, <laughs> <laughs> but might win the league. Uh, or in pole position to win the league. I would feel see. happy for you, like as a person. I'd be like, "Oh, Matt's happy." That's well, good. and as much as like, okay, so with Tottenham and Arsenal rivals, I get it. Mortal enemies at times, understood. But you know, watching Arsenal and the way this club has come together, I have to say, probably from a neutral perspective, or even from a Tottenham perspective, it's it's got to be tough, like to root against them because of Arteta. Arteta's so not hard to root against. Oh, you don't? I I feel I love Arteta, and I I feel like you know a lot of neutrals really kind of feel that way about him. Um, I agree that I mean obviously he's a fantastic coach, but I'm not. Yeah, I watch an Arsenal game to to hope you lose. Like I don't, I do not root for you guys at all. Oh, well, noted. You Micah. root for Tottenham ever? I watch every. I watch most Tottenham games. I'll watch uh, my Saturday mornings. I'll I'll turn on the TV and watch all three, all three at times when I'm watching the kids. So right. Um, I don't not watch a Tottenham game, and you know, yeah, I'm probably not cheering for them to win. I always want you guys to drop points, just like every other team. Um, but I was rooting for Tottenham uh, against Man City. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. Down I mean, that there. makes sense for the title case. Uh, yeah, from a rational perspective, that that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Tottenham look awful. They look awful all of a sudden. They've got like no creativity. Ever since Erickson left, really, they can't can't be creative in the final third and produce that final ball. And their defense is awful. Well, yep. and I just have to say, what is up with these signings that they keep bringing in? I mean, it's like... Like who? Um, so don't get me wrong on, on Hoiberg, right? Like, let's go back all the way to when they signed Hoiberg. I, uh, it's not that I don't think Hoiberg is a Premier League quality center back or center mid, but I don't think he's a top four quality center mid, you know, if you're competing for the league, league title. And you, you get know, a lot like of in, people in the Tottenham universe fighting you in that point, though, because when Bentinker really? and Hoybier play together, that is a very solid duo. It's when Bentinker is out; he's he's like the most essential player on the on the whole squad. And him and Hoybier, I think they pair well. And most Tottenham supporters, I would think, like to them, that's a top four. That's not like a title chasing duo for sure i think you do have to improve hoybier to be at that level I th- but i think like i think Ho- i think hoybier is better than shaka and grant shaka plays a lot for arsenal right so i, I think it's like that's not the place i would go with it. who's having a better season jimmy 
Jack or Hoyer? Hoyer is having a fantastic season. He's, yeah, he's well having a fantastic season. Yeah. Lies. This is his classism. This is not lies at classism. All. Listen, not I will lies. be the first one to say that I was ready for Jaka to go. I was ready for him to depart, no longer be a part of the team. I was asking for him to be replaced. I would have loved Telemans to come into the squad this summer. But the way that Jaka has come into this season and completely turned the script, um, he fits perfectly into that role that Arteta has him playing in. Um, and I think they're different players. So it's hard to argue like, okay, I think that when you talk about a center mid, there's so many different skill sets that each, you know, center mid can have. And they're probably different players. And to your point, Hoybier might be better at certain things. Jaka might be better at others. But I just, I just kind of say, going back to the signings for Tottenham, I just kind of question, you know, if I'm Harry Kane and I'm Son and I want to win something, some of these signings that have been brought in, I know they went after Jesus. And that would have been a phenomenal signing for Tottenham. But it's like, I just kind of, you know, Richarlison. He looks, yeah. For Richarlison 60 million. Good on paper, though, because like you said, you have a Premier League ready striker to come up and, you know, spell Harry Kane or go up two at the top. Like, to me, the Richarlison signing, and he had two big, big goals in Champions League, which, you know, is a competition you guys aren't familiar with, but we're still <laughs> involved in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's been disappointing. I can't, can't, can't argue that, but, but no striker like Jesus wants to come in and compete with Harry Kane, you know, like you go to a club like Tottenham as a striker, like, you know, you're going to be back up to him. Yeah. There's not even a chance and, for you to start. Like well, it is hard to recruit up there. It's not even just him. Like for like, I mean, this season you might have the discussion, but like the prior two seasons, uh, Sonny was also undroppable. So it was. Mm-hmm. Sonny and Harry Kane are going to play every single time they're healthy. Like, yeah. no doubt about it. Then it's like, why would I want to go sit behind that, like, and be like the third bird and like have to like you know fight for scraps for one spot in an attacking line? Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I but now Sonny's decline, which is strange. I don't know if it's, I don't, it's know if it's so a, I don't know if it's a, a decline or like there's lots of miles on those tires, man. Like, like forever. Right. Like, Pochettino that, used to say like. He, he, there's one quote that Brad always loved that Sonny is like a battery and you need to let him recharge sometimes. Mm. He's been running on empty for a long time. Well, I, I kind of look at, you know, with Arsenal, you see how they've brought in, you know, Odegaard or they've brought in, um, you know, Martinelli when they brought in Martinelli and you look at like, for example, Brighton with uh, what's the center mid Cachedo. How do you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then, um, you know, between White and Trostard and Mitoma, you know, they're able to find these guys at a minimal fee, bring them in, and then they turn into elite Premier League players. And it's like, why? I haven't seen that from Tottenham in a very long time other than Kane. And it, yeah, they bring in, they bring, they make these signings, but you've got to find a way to, you know, find those guys that are going to be elite to back up, you know, Kane and Son. I just, I don't know. I just don't see him. I think Kulusevsky is elite. Oh, I do too. I think on the defensive line, yeah, obviously Cudi Romero is elite. But other than that, on that back line, like there's nobody that you would keep because Emerson Royale is playing every game. Dyer's playing. Uh, What is it? Leggett. I'm sorry. Langlet. Yeah. Langlet. Yeah. Yeah. He's 
been fine, but like the defense is so leaky. So Langley. Langley. Well, I know you just said Romero that you think he's elite. I actually think yes. he's trash. No, he's just not. He's he's, he's, such a, he's, he's somewhere. A he's, he's honestly somewhere in between. He's definitely not elite, <laughs> but he's not trash either. But <laughs> probably fair. Probably fair. Hit both ends of the spectrums on that opinion. Yeah, yeah. He's like he's like the the Tottenham Jaka for me. You know, every, oh, time wow. all about, every time I yeah. every time I watch Tottenham play, it's just he does some sort of dirty thing that you know what. Every Tanganga, he's the most dirty <laughs> player in the entire universe. You know what? Every player's got to, ha- or every team's got to have an antagonist, right? Like the guy, the, the the guy who is the master of the dark arts, the shithousery. Like every team's got one. Like mm-hmm. mine happens to be my goalie, but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like every team's got to have one. You got to have a guy who's fucking mixing shit up. <laughs> the yeah, the uh, Emmy Martinez dick celebration was <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good. Epic. Yeah. Did you uh, watch a lot of World Cup? I watched some of it. I did watch the finals. Um, I tried to catch a game here or there. You know, a lot of a lot of stuff going on. But um, the games I could catch, I did watch. But I will say that the finals. I mean, I argue to say, find me a better soccer game that's been player soccer match to watch in the last twenty years. I don't think you're gonna find it. No, it was fantastic. It was it was better theater. Epic. Yeah. I thought the whole knockout stage was fantastic too. Like the Neymar goal to go up and then they uh oh, give it away. Against Croatia. Yeah. Yeah. Off of Parisic in Parisic too. I, the I Netherlands mean, Argentina game. Just a baller. Even at thirty three. A young man in real life. <laughs> an old man in soccer <laughs> ancient in soccer yeah, yeah this is old ass <laughs> no just dragging your carcass they around. look older though you know they like look more seasoned than us <laughs> look more they don't like trust me like we, we walked if we actually put on like the uniforms that are wearing we walked out there it's like oh my god there's a 55 year old man out in the field <laughs> What was that fat fuck doing out there? You don't belong. Uh, I do want to touch very briefly on the Michigan Stars because you know of them in Nisa. Like, what's your? How much do you know about the Michigan Stars and like Nisa? Do you know anything about that? Yeah. So honestly, Michael, I I don't follow those leagues as much. Um, That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. But you like hadn't you had some history with Michigan Stars though? Or is that we just played like- we played them as a club team like uh, when we played TKO Matt. Like that's why I remember they had a club team in Michigan Stars. Yeah, I just remember Wolves. I remember Vardar. You know, back then, um, Michigan Stars. I don't know if I ever played them because Jimmy, you you played with TKO for an entire year. I never played for an entire season until uh, maybe I did in high school for one yeah. year, but. So, yeah, I don't. Your high school team also won a state state championship, I understand. No. no. You guys went to no. different high schools? Well, we went to the same high school, but Vicksburg didn't you know, win. We, we, we lost in state semis. 
Oh, uh, that was the uh, that was that was the Matt that was the Matt Woodham's episode where we talked about scoring an own goal on ourselves to mm. well, each other. Michael, you know that year. Um, to be fair, not to toot my own horn, but wait, I was wait, wait, I was the that? best player on the team. Was the best player on the team, and I blew out my ankle. I got tackled from behind. And this guy got a red card in the regional finals. I was on. A, I was going to score a goal, and I blew out my ankle. Right, be, right before we played Forest Hill Central in the state semifinals. And so then we lost 2-1 to one on an own goal. And Forest Hill Central was a Division One school uh, the year prior, and they won states at Division One the year prior. And then they, had, they split the school systems. They had Forest Hill Central, Northern, and then they created an Eastern. And so they took kids from the schools while all the soccer players stayed at Central, and they dropped down to D2. And we played them. And we were a great team. They had Mr. Soccer on their team, Jake Stacy. They were a good mm-hmm. team, but we were, uh, you know, we were not firing on all cylinders going into that game. And uh, it was, it was also on turf, and we played like because we were a smaller school system. Like our entire season and everything up until that game had been on natural grass, and then like they put like their home field was on turf. Like it is a different speed, and like our team, like we like we had a couple kids like like uh, like Matt and I and and some of those guys that played year round. But a lot of those guys were just high school players, right? Like they didn't play club soccer or anything. So we weren't technical per se in a lot of areas. So put us put us on a turf field and it was a different yeah. game for sure. Balls moving quicker. Yeah. Yeah. So uh we end with rants. So anything soccer related or t- tangentially soccer related that you want to just get off your chest. Now's the opportune time to do so. Well, I think I think looking at this fixture tomorrow, I am so sick and tired of people fluffing up Man United. Man United is not the Man United of old, and they're coming into a game against after Arsenal. After that game, by the way. Sorry? This is going to be posted after that game, so you might sound like a complete idiot. By the time hey, I'm just saying consistency out. matters. Consistency matters. If you look at the previous fixture – when Arsenal played Man United, I don't think anybody would say that Arsenal was the worst team on the pitch. Yeah, they lost 3-1 on a couple counters, but Arsenal was the better team on the pitch, and I think it's going to be no different going into this match. And I have full confidence that it's going to be a competitive fixture. And, you know, if I was putting any money on the game, I would be putting money on Arsenal. So that's my rant. If you were putting money on the game. Yeah, yeah, of you're, course. Yeah, I'll probably you're, put money on the game. Yeah, you're fucking a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Saka, first goal. Here it goes. Yeah. That's a great bet. They legalized uh, sports gambling here in back in like during the World Cup, and all the apps were introducing like a hundred or two hundred dollar free bets if you signed up. So I got like four or five different apps, and then I went <laughs> up like three fifty. I pulled two fifty out and left a hundred in. And now I'm like down to 20 bucks. So I am uh, dwindling that last hundo, but it is fun. Yeah. But I have like countering interest now because today I put money on like Newcastle, but that's a terrible result for Tottenham. But I put money on Newcastle, so I was kind of rooting for Newcastle. Yeah, I guess I didn't even see that score today. Zero, zero. Zero, zero. They haven't, I wasn't joking, they haven't been scored on since October. They have not allowed a goal 
They've only allowed 11 goals all season in 20 games. With the World Cup in between there. But, yes, that's the long-ass time. Still. Yep. Still. Like, just, like, name a team that this month hasn't uh, allowed a goal. Anyway. Yep. Jimmy, you got a rant? No. Up the Villa. 5-1-1, baby, in the seven games I you and I. Feeling good. I'll just say that I do love betting on sports. That's that's my only contribution at the end there. Great White Buffalo. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me. On.